This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. This is our first episode of the year 2022, and I can't even believe it, but we started this podcast back in 2020, so we're now in our third year of recording and preserving stories from individuals within the Leather and King communities, and I want to thank all of you who have supported the podcast thus far and helped make it possible to keep doing this very important work. If you didn't know already, you can support the podcast through Patreon, where you can find me as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet. Now, Patreon members gain early access to episodes as well as exclusive access to other bonus material. So if you haven't had a chance yet, go take a look. And with that said, let's introduce our next guest, who has been in the leather community for 15 years and is one of the founding members of Onyx Mid-Atlantic. Get ready for some more leather talk. everyone, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Dominion Onyx. Hi, Dominion. Hey, Brandon, how are you? <laughs> Pretty good. Where are you logging in from today? I am uh, logging in from the Gay Boy Mansion Southern Annex in Washington, D.C., so I am uh, very excited for this opportunity to talk to you and uh, all of your fans. Well, I'm really thankful for you coming on the show today. Um, Dominion, for those of us who might not be familiar with you, would you mind just giving us a little snapshot of who you are? Sure. So uh, my name is Dominion Onyx. Obviously, that's not the name that I was born with, but that's the name that I use in the community. I just turned 50 on March 26th, and I'm extremely excited about that. Um, I am a cisgender black gay male. And I've been in the leather community actively for about 15 years, uh, with about five years before that as a lurker. Um, I don't uh, have any leather titles, but um, I'm a founder of the Mid-Atlantic chapter of Onyx, which is um, here in Washington, D.C. and covers D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Southern Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Delaware, and West Virginia. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for giving us a little a brief snapshot of who you are. Now, we actually got in contact with each other because of Chad Onyx. Yes, his birthday was yesterday, in fact. Oh, my gosh. I have to I have to play him happy birthday on the violin. I have to play you happy birthday on the violin. I would love that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Chad and I. Uh, so, Chad was actually a judge at the Mr. Bullet Leather competition. Yes. And that's how we got connected. And Chad always like we always laugh at this because when I saw him at the judging booth, I wasn't nervous. When I saw him, mm-hmm. I was like cruising him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, you won. So I mean, I guess it must have been effective. I was just like, "Ooh, who is that at the table?" <laughs> like, <laughs> he often has that effect on men. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, here we are. Thank you, Chad, um, if you're listening. 
<laughs> Thank you, Chad. I appreciate it. You know, I owe you, you know, Chad and I uh, go way back. What is way back? Did you guys meet in D? I think he spent time in DC. Is that right? He may have, but we met through Onyx uh, at the time he was living in Chicago. And he was one of the people who would come for MAL, which was really my first experience mm. to the leather community. Mid uh, MAL is Mid-Atlantic Leather. It's held every January here in Washington, D.C. In fact, we are super, we're really looking forward to it because MAL was canceled uh, in 2020 because, you know, this huge pepperoni pizza that we've been in mm -hmm. for uh, the past two years. And so that would have been the first MAL that I've missed since 2000 so wow. but yeah so chad and i go way back so when i i think when i first met him he was a pledge of the midwest chapter and then you know since then he's you know now the president and we've worked together on the national council and done a lot of things and he's just really um a good man and someone that's uh it's good to have in your corner but also it's just a good person to talk to and have as a friend and so i really value his friendship yeah yeah he's awesome well, I always like to get these episodes started off with sort of a, a coming out story or an origin story. Um, so I'm curious to know, I mean, you said earlier that you identify as a black gay male. Yes. At what point did you find out that you were gay or was this something you always knew? Um, I don't know that it's something that I always knew. I do recall that when I was a kid, so, you know, baby Neo Dominion, mm -hmm. um, I used to, when when I have my fantasies, you know, I even know Superman was my favorite superhero of all, and there's a whole story about that. But in my fantasies, I was always Wonder Woman. Oh. And so I never really thought any thought much about that, although I knew it was probably something that I shouldn't talk about a lot with mm. uh, other people. Um, and I used to have this uh, spanking thing with uh, my best friend at the time. We used to go into his basement and he would pull his pants down and ask me to spank him. And so that continued for several years. But um, I sort of had my first... Uh, gay sex experience other than gay kink experience um when i was about 13 and uh i discovered you know brandon i'm uh, a little bit older than you so <laughs> some of these stories are going to talk about magazines and dvds what and, is a what's a magazine <laughs> right what is you know you used to have to look at porn on paper but they used to send these catalogs of porn through the mail and in the middle of the catalog was always like four or five pages of what they termed mail on mail action. And, you know, me being a nosy little shit, I was, I was like, well, what exactly is mail on mail action? <laughs> and it's, it's just like the stereotypical meme. You see that you're like, I feel weird. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was sort of that. And so I was active, sexually active with, uh, another friend of mine, uh, at the time, between the ages of 14 and 16. And then I didn't really have sex at all uh, between the ages of 16 and 26. I was this fat closeted kid uh, graduating high school and going off to college in Tallahassee, Florida, where there were no gay bars and anything like that. But when I came back home to Washington, DC, I came out to myself when I was 26 years old. And, mm -hmm. uh, 
I think that the person who I was at 26 would be shocked at who I am now because my ideas about what it meant to be gay and what I wanted out of life were so conservative and built around ideas of toxic masculinity and also fear of uh, what my life would be like. Mm -hmm. I remember um, watching on TV this guy. This was what this was during um, the rolling out of the AIDS memorial quilt Mm -hmm. and this guy got on stage and said i'm proud to be gay and i burst into tears because i was like what is there to be proud of wow but then you know here i am now i'm gay (laughs) i'm gay yeah i i feel very similar i mean you you said you came out when you were like 22 to yourself or something 26 26 Mm -hmm. okay Uh, do you remember like a specific moment of uh, of like telling yourself like okay I accept this or was that like a gradual thing well so you know I'm a reader and I do research and so when I started having these feelings I read a lot I read everything that I could and many of the things that I read remember this was before Google Brandon because you know <laughs> I'm a little bit older as I said <laughs> um it came out, uh, you know, so I did a lot of reading and a lot of things that I read say, yeah, there are some homosexuals, but for many young boys, this is just a phase that they go through. Mm-hmm. So I just spent the next uh, 10 years sort of hoping this phase would go away. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. you know, I was devouring every piece of gay porn that was available in the local video store, you know. And then yeah. one day on my birthday, because my birthday is always a time of reflection for me. And when mm-hmm. I woke up on March 26th, on my 26th birthday, it just was like, I'm gay. Phases don't last for 10 years. Wow. You know, and I mean, I actually wrote it down It's you know, I'm a writer as well as many other things. And it's one of the first uh, pieces that I wrote about being gay. And um, yeah, I was like, you know, faces don't last for 10 years. And, you know, what does this mean for my life? You know, I can't have that white picket fence life that I wanted. I can never have kids, although I don't want kids now. But at Mm -hmm. the time I wanted (laughs) kids and, um, you know, other things. And I thought that that was a life that was closed to me because I was gay. And, you know, this was in the mid 90s. So things are entirely different now. And I'm glad to have lived to see all of the changes that the world has to offer. Now, when you came like face to face with that, finally, um, and like you're saying, you're looking back and, and thinking, you know, at the time you're like, oh, I'm not never going to have this life and blah, blah, blah. Um, like, did all those things remain true or did you find that some of those things were myths in your head? Well, probably 95% of those things that I feared were myths. The first myth, well, at least for me. Now, I want to say that this is only my origin story. And I know that a lot of kids had it really tough and had a really hard time coming out. But I was afraid to tell people that I was gay. But I have never in my whole life had a negative experience with telling someone that I was gay. From my best friends to my fraternity brothers to even today, like, you know, I started painting my nails um, I painted my toenails for like three or four years, which that's kind of private. 
Mm-hmm. I, but I started painting my fingernails during the pandemic. And then when I started going back into the office, people <laughs> saw that and it was like a non-factor. So all of the things that I was worried about being gay proved to be non-factors for me. But again, that is not I recognize that that's not the case for a lot of young gay kids and they really are in dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. So I feel blessed in that way that all of the things that I were worried was worried about as um, a young gay boy and a young gay man proved to be myths in my life. Now, what about your coming out to your family? Was that a challenge at all? Did you find that you were like kind of present, pleasantly surprised that they kind of didn't? I thought it was going to be. I mean, I come from a family of people with loud voices and strong tempers, Mm -hmm. and I'm also a planner. So I wasn't going to position myself to be in a place where they could hurt me. So, uh, again, everything revolves around my birthday. So for my 30th birthday, I went to New York City and did a lot. I did the most, (laughs) the absolute most and had such a wonderful time. And I came home and sat my father and sister down and told them that I was gay. But by that time, I had moved out a long time ago. I had my own place. So this conversation was, for me, that it was relatively low stakes because I didn't, I had positioned myself, you know, sort of financially and emotionally where if they had responded poorly, I would have been fine. But I was presently surprised. Now, some of it is because people are nosy. Because as I said, I'm a writer. And mm. one of the books that I'm, I'm writing has two main characters, one of whom is gay. And my father found some things that I was writing and assumed that I was gay. Now, Mm -hmm. we could have had a conversation about, well, Stephen King writes about murderers, but that doesn't make him a murderer. But since he was fine with it and he said, you know, you're my son and you're gay. And I remember, so he he passed away uh, three years ago, but right after Pulse, he called me and was like, I want to talk to you about the places that you go and I want to make sure that you're being safe. And it was like so touching to me that, you know, we don't talk about, we never talked about being gay, but I feel like I wouldn't talk about my wife either. You know what I mean? Right. It just right. wasn't like, I'm not like some gays that are like super open with their family. It's just not like, it's none of my business. He doesn't talk to me about his sex life. I don't talk to him about mine. Right. So, and then my sister also Miss Nosy. Um, read something that I had written in my journal about um, a crush that I had on one of my fraternity brothers. Uh And so both of them were super nosy and found out. So by the time I actually vocalized it, they'd already found out and it was a non-issue. Right. I just love, I, I could just imagine like your sister listening and here we are calling her Miss Nosy. Like, there she is. She's right upstairs. And that's why I said it so she could hear me. She knows she's nosy. I love that. Wow, that's awesome. So they're kind of like primed and ready for you to like tell them a little bit. And yes, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's interesting that um, like I I did the same thing where I wasn't sure when to come out. But Mm -hmm. when I asked, uh, I had some neighbors that kind of mentored me a little bit and kind of gave me advice and like when's a good time to come out and how to come out and all this stuff. And um, I remember thinking to myself, too, is like, I'm going to wait till I'm in a situation where I don't need to live here, where I don't right. like, cause you don't, I don't know, you know, what, what's going to happen. Um, and I remember being surprised because my parents um, responded in a way that was, how do I explain this? Well, when I came out, there was like the whole hugging, crying tears moment. And then mm-hmm. at the end of that little 
moment, it was, well, you're just going to have to live with this problem and don't act on it. Like, and I, w- I was like taken aback. I beg your pardon? Because I was like, <laughs> I think they thought that I was coming out to them as like a cry for help to like, oh, like as a res- like I'm trying to resist this kind of thing. And I'm like, that's not why I came out to you. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to be fixed. This isn't like, right. help me with this homo thing. No, right. that's not exactly. it. Exactly. So this is more just... of an information. This is more of an FYI. Right. Yeah. By the way, I'm gay. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I can understand, like, you know, people having all those those questions and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you came when you started getting kinky, at, like, you were spanking. Where did the spanking thing come from when you're a kid? Like, how does that even come up? I well, you know, that was forty some years ago, so I can't tell you exactly how it uh, came up. I think that you know, there are a lot of people who get turned on by being spanked by the proximity of hands and stuff to naked parts of their bodies and. Uh, um, things that are sort of forbidden. I mean, I never spanked, I don't spank him. I didn't spank him like I spank people today, first of all, because his mother was upstairs. So uh-huh. I couldn't like <laughs> do all of that. But I mean, I didn't know anything about that. It was really just two kids, uh, you know, an eight and a nine-year-old acting out their um, their impulses. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, aren't fr- we aren't friends uh, anymore. Uh, but I mean, I know where he is. And I bet you if I mentioned it, he probably... Wouldn't remember he, it or something. He either doesn't remember it or doesn't want to talk about it. So mm-hmm. it'd be because he's definitely not gay. And we were friends on Facebook, but I think once he saw who I was on Facebook, you know, he and a few of the other people that I grew up with sort of fell by the wayside. So that was minorly negative, but I mean, we aren't friends. So right. I don't really care about people I don't know not liking me. I, mean, I could give a shit. Right. So it kind of just was you know, youthful experimentation. But then once that was over, there was no real interest in BDSM and kink other than, you know, I found found what toys were because, you know, my mother had um, a couple of dildos. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no real exploration of the kinky side of myself until I went to my first MAL in 2000. Oh, Okay. So what what prompted you to go to MAL in the first place? I'm nosy, for one. <laughs> come uh, from a nosy family. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. I come from a nosy family. So that's part of it. But also my mother, uh, you know, my mother had just died. She died on December 30th, 1990. Mm. And my friends or my one friend in an attempt to sort of cheer me up or whatever. He was like, hey, let's go to this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, that's impossible. There is no way. I mean, I was out and gay then, but I was like, there is no way that 6,000 gay men come to D.C. every January and I've <laughs> never heard about it. Yes, they do. <laughs> and I got there and I was like, well, wouldn't you know it, goddammit, apparently 6,000 gay men do come to D.C. <laughs> every January and where have I been? Right. And so that was my introduction to the leather community and also to uh, to Onyx, because okay. there um, uh, I don't know if you've ever interviewed Mufasa Ali, but, you know, he's mm-hmm. one of the founders and probably the most visible founder of Onyx. It was him and four or five other men of Onyx. And at that time, it was just the Chicago chapter. Um, 
And they were just sitting in the corner talking about this movie called Jackie's Back, which is a, a classic starring uh, Jennifer Lewis. And I had never heard of it, but we also talked about The Color Purple. And it was just really this sort of gay family that I had been looking for because it was around that time where I started thinking that I wanted something different for my gay life. Hmm. Because up until that point, most of my gay relationships and relationships, meaning friendships, were based around sex and the pursuit of it. So mm -hmm. it was, what are you going to do on Friday? Oh, we're going to go to the bar and, you know, or to the club, and then we're going to go to the glory hole or to the bathhouse, and then we do that, and then we would talk about who we're going to fuck and, you know, who we got fucked by or if we were going to go to Pride or if we were going to do... And so all of our conversations were about gay stuff, but there is so much more to me than that. So I had made this decision that I wanted to find people in my life with whom I had more in common than being black and gay, because being black is not enough to be in community with someone. And you and I both know that being gay is not enough to be in community with someone. Right. So we have to have other things in common. And what Mufasa and those other people provided me was that community of black gay people where we could also talk about politics we could talk about sex but we could talk about politics we could talk about travel outside of going someplace to fuck you know so right. we could have like a full friendship and so that was my introduction introduction to onyx and through that it gave me a comfortable space to begin exploring kinks and fetishes without mm. pressure because again since our relationships weren't sex-based they will be like, oh, if you're interested in toys or if you're interested in flogging or fisting, we can discuss that. But the discussion doesn't have to be me fisting you or you fisting me or any sort of sexual contact mm. between us. And so that's something that I've tried to do not only in Onyx, but in my life is that, you know, you we know lots of people and they're like, they always are falling out and having breakdowns in relationships with people. And I said to a friend one day, I said, that's because you fucked all of your friends. Mm -hmm. You don't have any people with whom, any people in your life with whom you don't have a sexual interest, a sexual investment or a sexual attraction. Hmm. So, you know, for me, that was important. And so yeah, I, I tell a long story, so you can stop no, me no, no, go for it. <laughs> uh, uh, whenever. But yeah, so that's really how my kink involvement um, started. And in the beginning, it was only every January when the when they came here for MAL. But eventually they were planning to start a chapter here in D.C. And I knew the people that were starting it. And uh, I got involved. And if I get involved in something, you know, I don't get involved in it half-heartedly. Right. So I wanted to be more knowledgeable about kinks and fetishes. And I wanted to um, be able to help others and embrace them in the same way that I was embraced. Okay. Okay. So what I'm getting is it's like there was like a lack of depth in what you saw in whatever your gay community was at that point. Yes. And, and what you found with Onyx was something that had like a stronger foundation of friendship before. And then if sex became like a byproduct of whatever or kinks right. or stuff, then you felt safer to explore those things. And I think that's really important because like, like I feel like kinks really should be explored with people that you like love and trust as friends. Exactly. First, right. Like you don't want someone you don't trust to be like, tying you up and whipping you in the back with a single tail because like right. you don't know who they are like i don't know like that's just my take on it but 
No, I 100% agree. And it's um, interesting to me that, you know, you'll meet people online. It's like, hey, I just met you, but I want you to put your fist in me. I was like, you don't even know my real name. I told you my name is Dominion, but you've never seen me in person and you want to come over to my house. You want to do all of these things. And we've not built any basis for uh, this uh, relationship. And um, people will be interested to know that, uh, well, some people will be interested to know that, yeah, I talked about Chad being um, a friend of mine and an Onyx brother, but I've never even seen Chad naked. Not that, and you know, I'm sure he's very nice, but that's <laughs> not the nature of our friendships right. in Onyx. If I have sex with one of my Onyx brothers or play with one of my Onyx brothers, that's because of a particular attraction or whatever. And so the myth that, you know, every Onyx meeting begins and ends with an orgy or with everyone whipping their dicks out or whatever is just that a myth. It's a family. It's a basis upon which we build friendships and sex. We have sex with other people. We share our lives with our brothers. Wow. Say that again. That was powerful. I said the men of Onyx, we share... We have sex with others. Mm -hmm. We share our lives with our brothers, with our family, Mm -hmm. with each other. Wow. I love that. Um, And it's just, I I did interview Mufasa, and every Mm -hmm. Onyx member I've talked to has had kind of the same sentiment where, like like you said, we share our lives with each other, but it's a brotherhood. Um, Mm -hmm. And for the record, I have not seen Chad naked yet either. So. I love how you say it yet. I mean, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll happen. You're a very attractive man. I'm sure if you uh, now that you are Mr. Uh, Mr. Bolt, you know, I'm sure he will be more than happy to show you. Chad, if you're listening. Right. I'm here trying to pl- I'm putting a plug in for you, baby. I love it. I love it. Um, okay, cool. So let's talk about some of some of your kinks. Um, I, I, so I'm assuming like so your first introduction to to leather and kink then was was through onyx is that how your like leather identity identity like sort of culminates is like as an onyx member or currently but you know uh in all honesty um i uh, well so you know i've been in active in leadership and everything so mm-hmm. i feel like it's time for me to step off of the stage in that arena yeah. and move forward from that platform but that's certainly the basis of who i was and because you know of the type of leader that i am um i wanted to be sort of a very strong sort of upfront and out front kind of uh person so yeah, mm-hmm. so the basis of my kink journey is Onyx, but it's not the end. It's of not it. the end. Got it. Right. So you, do you see yourself? I mean, is leather now like kind of a part of who you are? Do do you see that kind of going away once you lose that? Platform? Oh no, not at all. Um, the pla- the oh, I'm not, the Onyx was a springboard into my own platform. So you know, I've moved well beyond uh just that i don't think that we are having this conversation because i'm an onyx brother and chad just recommended one of his onyx brothers it's because i'm a writer i'm a kink Mm -hmm. educator i'm a leader i'm a bunch of other things that onyx may have been a springboard to get me out there but you know i've done it on my uh, on my own so my leather journey will continue well beyond this i don't plan to change my name from dominion onyx it will always be who I am, but you know, who I am will expand beyond that foundation. 
Got it. Got it. Well, let's talk about your name for a second. How, how did you come up with D- Dominion Onyx? How does that identify with you? And I also know that a lot of Onyx members put Onyx like as their last name or like their their family name, I guess you would say. Um, yes. And is that a conscious decision that is that part of being a member or is that just something that's happened coincidentally between a lot of members? Well, Onyx isn't the first fraternity that I've uh, started a chapter of. I started a chapter of an architecture fraternity at Florida A&M University uh, where I uh, went to school. Mm -hmm. And Onyx is not a black organization, but I probably would say most of its members are black men. And so the black college pledging experience is something is that is familiar to a significant number of us either through personal experience because we pledge a fraternity or we've seen it or family members are members of fraternities and sororities Mm -hmm. and in um fraternities and sororities when you pledge you're given a name and that name i mean we could we could break it down a ton of ways but when you become part of a new family, you're given a name that signifies you're a part of that family. Mm. The family name is Onyx. So we are all Onyx now in the same way that when you were born, you took one of your parents' names. So we took the name of the organization and the name that you're given is an outgrowth of your personality. Chad and I are different because we're founders. So no one named us. Mm. We named ourselves and Chad just doesn't, I think Chad does have an Onyx name, which he doesn't use it very often. For other reasons, I leaned into my identity in, you know, a professional and in legal ways that other people don't. Mm-hmm. But um, I was probably one of the first people to actively do that on a large platform other than Mufasa. And it came from the fact that, uh, well, my name is Brian. So I, on my Facebook profile, was starting to be tagged in pictures of half-naked men and stuff. And while i'm out you know there's out and then there's out (laughs) there's (laughs) hanging out (laughs) right and so i wanted to have some distance between my involvement in onyx and the kink and fetish community versus brian the you know professional program manager the architect you know right that guy and uh so the name is always some characteristic of yourself and Dominion has to do with the way that I approach the world. I approach all situations uh, from a position of strength and a position of being in charge. That doesn't mean that I don't know when it's time to uh, be a follower and not a leader, but generally throughout my life, um, I've always been the leader kind of take charge um, person. In other Mm. words, I have Dominion. Mm, Got it. Got it. Do you find that leadership finds you or that you seek it out? Um, it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I, I used to seek it out more than I do now. What happens is I feel like I have a, a fairly broad and fairly deep 
leadership skill set in terms of, you know, interpersonal skills as well as technical skills. Mm -hmm. And so even if I don't start out in a leadership position, when I get involved in something, people are like, well, why don't you just do this? I mean, literally, I just started a new job two weeks ago on November the 1st, and we're working on some spreadsheet. And my boss is like, yeah, this is uh, do something. And I was like, um, just can I? Right. Handle this. And so she give it and in like in like 20 minutes of me just sort of screwing around with this spreadsheet, I fixed and made it better than something that they'd worked on for like a year. Right. And see, so now she's in meetings with her boss, who's like the big boss. And it's like, yeah, so uh, Brian's uh, our new spreadsheet guy. And I was like, how that happened? <laughs> well, because you're, you're a doer. And there's yes. so, there, there's there's like you can plan, 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 but just do like the other day. Um, I feel like I fall into leadership and not that I ever I, I've never se- seeked it out, but I feel like it falls in my lap a lot of times for that reason where mm-hmm. nobody's doing anything. There's a job you see that something needs to be done and you do it. Right. And just the other day, like where I was putting together like this, um, this whole plan and email or whatever to go out to um, have like this performance. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to write it and send it. And so I did. And everyone was like, oh, my God, like, it's it's all here. Like, you just click and it, and it works and you sign up and you put in the information. I'm like, yeah, it's that right. simple. I made it in 20 minutes. Like, <laughs> Right. Because you and I are like, what is the point of doing it if you don't do it well? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, so many, you know. I'm not going to name any names in Onyx or any other organization Uh that I have uh, been a part of, but you know, you'll give someone a task and uh, I'm I'm going to name a task. Right. And the person is probably isn't going to going to hear this because he doesn't really do the internets, but um, someone was assigned to do a slideshow. Okay. And I'm like, this doesn't, it's, it's, it's such a piss poor job at it that you might as well not even have done anything. <laughs> it's like, why even bother if you're not even if you're not going to do it? And so there's nothing that I do that I get involved in that I give less than 100 percent in. And so what I've learned is to reserve my energy for important things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. everything there's a ton of things that people like me and you could fix. And if we did, because people will love to take from us, yeah. they will take from us all day. And then when they're, when they're like, hey, Brandon, let's go out to the club. You're like, girl, I am tired, I'm tired. because yep. I've been working all week while y'all have been out partying yes. and bullshitting. Oh, my gosh. I You're hitting a nerve with me. Yes, 100 <laughs> percent. And I've learned over the over the last few years to start saying no, because. Right. Uh, and, you know, especially like just with uh, getting my title this last year year or whatever um i've been asked like certain things hey like what do you think about doing this and i've i've observed my life and i'm like okay if i do that i can do it but i'm going to do it all the way and it means i'm going to have to let go of something else right uh because i i just know like my energy i'm just going to be dead like my whole energy is going to be gone and they will use you up like I, I can see it right now, you know, they want to put on some big event at the bar and it was like, oh, we'll just have Mr. Bolt do it. And yeah. you do it and it's awesome. And then at the end of the event, when everybody's like, hey, this was a lovely event. Let's go to brunch tomorrow. You're like, girl, I'm going uh-uh. to bed because <laughs> I have been up all week prepping for this. And remember the three tasks that I asked you to do while I did the other 75 tasks? You didn't even do those three. So I had to do extra work on top of it. Yeah. And I'm going to work tomorrow at 8 a.m. So exactly. (laughs) 
exactly. But um, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. Right. You just you just know your you know where you're where you're you know the reality of the situation here. So how exactly. does that? Um, gosh, I have so many questions for you. Okay, so I guess we'll start here. Mm-hmm. How, how did that go into you being a founding? Uh, are, are you the founder or a founding member of the mid A founding Chap- member. There are, what, seven okay. or eight of us, yes. Okay, so how did that come into play? Uh, how did that get started? Like, hey, let's just start a chapter for Mid-Atlantic. I mean, what's the story there? That's kind of exactly how it happened. So, okay. you know, uh, the brothers from Chicago would come to uh, MAL for... Uh, uh, in January and more and more people from DC started coming, but also people would, uh, started coming up from Atlanta and New York and New York and Atlanta just happened to get off earlier. So in the order, Chicago is the founding chapter. Then it was Atlanta, then it's New York and then DC, which is mid Atlantic, but we say DC. And so other people had already tried to start it. And I was already actively involved in the fraternity that I was doing in college. You know, I was traveling around the country, helping other college students start their chapters and do other stuff. So I was like, um, I'll do whatever. So I was, I said, I'll be the treasurer because that doesn't really require, require a whole lot of effort. Mm-hmm. But again, as is always the case, being the treasurer led to being the webmaster, led to being the this, led to being the that. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you know, it got to a point where people were like, well, if you're doing all of this, maybe you should just run for president. And so yeah. I was like, all right, well, fine, I'll run for president. Although I didn't want to because I don't really, people don't believe this, but I'm really kind of um, a quiet, alone person uh-huh. a lot. And I didn't think that I would like, you know, always having to smile and be nice to people. Right. <laughs> and I saw that that was what the job of president uh, required, or that's what I thought it did. And it did. And I actually ended up um, liking it. So I sort of fell into it. And again, as with anything, you know, I don't do anything sort of half-assed. And uh, I was treasurer for five or six or seven years, president for three, took two years off, then pledge master for three years. And, you know, I always try to take things to the next level. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I took the presidency to the next level. I took the pledge uh, master position to the next level. So this is kind of how I do. And so now I'm stepping back my involvement in that and getting involved in LLC. But I've already told uh, the president of uh, Leather Leadership Conference, the board, the chair of the board that, you know, I have no other intentions other than being a board member to assist you because you're my good brista. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's always like, well, we'll see. Um, right. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's talk about the, now I know you can't share all the secrets, so <laughs> you don't have to share anything that uh, shouldn't be out there, but I'm curious to know in, in what ways do you think that you've took the pledge process to to the next level it, what are you asking of oh yeah of there's your... no secrets no so it's not even like that um okay. i'm a person who observes and listens and um i'm a project manager and program manager and a management consultant so i bring that approach to everything that i do so the pledge manual let's start there needed to be expanded upon significantly so i took it from about the 20 page document that it was to a 
about 200 page cross-reference document. Of course, I procrastinated and instead of the year that I should have had to do it, I did it all in a, me and the assistant pledge master did it all in about four months. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing. And then it was also about changing up the pledge experience. I remember watching, this is funny, but I remember watching Roseanne and she did this sexy photo shoot for Dan. I mean, Roseanne is a weird topic anyway. This is the TV show, right? The TV show, Roseanne, yes. (laughs) And she did this sexy photo shoot for Dan. And as much as it was pleasing to Dan, Roseanne commented on how it gave her self-confidence and improved her image of herself. Oh, wow. And um, between that and something I also saw on The Real Housewives, um, we we started doing photo shoots because a lot of people, people, everyone wants to look like Ralph Bruno, right? Or or, um, James Lee Uh or Ramian. You know, but everybody doesn't look like that. You know, everybody doesn't have leather that fits them to a T. They don't have eight pack abs or they don't have the perfect gray, hairy chest that they want. And so a lot of us have body insecurities and Mm -hmm. image issues. And so that photo shoot was designed to do the same thing that that photo shoot did for Roseanne was for you to see yourself as a leather man in a positive light. If you are what the world would say is overweight and chubby and unattractive and too dark skin or too whatever, or too femme or whatever the world says about you, we're going to take that and make that the thing to celebrate. Mm-hmm. One of our brothers who um, has a bit of a more feminine um, aesthetic to him, like he wears leather, but he also wears his makeup and whatever. He talked about how, you know, the kids sometimes teased him and the kids, I mean, other gays, teased him about yeah. that. And so we encouraged him, come with your makeup to this photo shoot and your leather. And he was just so pleased by how his photo looked. And so to me, that was great because these, you know, three pledge classes full of men now have these um, iconic to them photos that they can go back and say, yeah, I am a leather man. I do fit the mold because I've determined what leather is for me. Wow. Wow. You know, it's interesting you say that because I like thinking back and um, like one of the times that I felt sexy was -hmm. when I first got my harness and like went out in it. And I was so afraid because Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've been to um, have you been to Los Angeles before? I've been to L.A. and I feel like I've been to Bolt Bar like once because I dipped my head in for like five minutes on my way to go whore around. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) These are honest. But like L.A., we have like the the, like some of the most beautiful people in the world live here. And so like the gay scene here, I mean, I, I guess I haven't experienced it in other cities, but like you're you're constantly being compared or at least I was comparing myself to like that standard of the most beautiful people in the world. We have models and porn stars just like walking the streets of West Hollywood. And when you go into a leather space, like the Eagle or the bullet bar or whatever, um, you see people of all different shapes and sizes. And when I started getting attention in leather, I was like, Oh, I, I'm actually sexy to people. And then I realized that, oh, you know what? I am sexy. And like, exactly. I can own that. And like, I think that's what's so powerful about leather is like, you really, I mean, I guess 
I don't want to say it's not for everyone. I think it, it could be for everyone. At least that sentiment of like accepting yourself for who you are and celebrating your body type and celebrating your sexuality and just coming to have ownership of who you are. Right. That really is to me, people think of leather and, you know, they think of that external image. So, and for me, it's par partly that, mm -hmm. but it's also the internal journey to clarity about who you are in right. this world. You know, if you're going to call yourself dominion, it feels, you know, there's a, a certain attitude that goes with that. And so before, at least for me, before yeah. I chose it, I was like, all right, so is that my truth? Is that what I want to live in? You know, when you think about what turns you on and when you lean into that, you're being the most authentic, and true version of yourself. And it's not just about the sex. Being honest about the things that turns you on leads you to be honest about all of the other or can lead to you being honest about all of the other aspects and facets of your life that's important. Mm -hmm. So that is the leather journey that we talk about in Onyx. So when we talk about leather journey, we're not just talking about, oh, and no offense to people who just bought their harness like you did that time, but you've mm -hmm. also gone on a journey of self too. Yeah. That is deeper than that harness or deeper than being Mr. Bolt. It's about growth of right. self and learning more about yourself and uh, learning more about other people too. At right. least that's what I hope you would get out of it. Cause it feels, it feels superficial and unnecessary to me if all I was interested in was just having sex. But right. I feel like for some people, that's the only reason they come into a leather space is because of the sexual freedom. But then when we get to talking about this sort of stuff, yeah, their eyes glaze over and they, you know, they get lost because, you know, we're not talking about dicks and asses anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, it, what I find interesting is that leather has, at least for me, um, prompted me to what's the word that I'm looking for? it's prompted me to face fears that mm -hmm. I've had about myself, things that I didn't want to confront that I had to now face. And every time I break through one of those barriers, those walls, I feel like I'm a stronger, deeper person and I know myself even more. And like even certain, like, I mean, taking it back to like sex, even doing certain sexual acts or BDSM mm -hmm. acts, things that I, I was like, Oh, I'll never do that. Those are like, that's crazy. Or whatever. Right. And then like allowing myself to be like, okay, it's okay. You can try it. You can like it. You cannot like it. And like right. coming to that point to yourself where you can accept that for yourself, like that's a huge deal for, and it manifests itself outside of the bedroom and many other ways after that in non-sexual instances, because now exactly. you've broken through that barrier that you've built up around yourself, you know? Have you ever experienced anything like that where you're like afraid of something or had some kind of wall that you had to break through along that journey? Well, you know, I'm constantly breaking through it. I, I don't, I would never, um, be, I, I would never say that I have body dysmorphia in the way that some people do, mm -hmm. but you know, I've always been a large person. And so even to this day, I am not one of those people who looks at themselves a lot in the mirror. If I walk past a mirror, you know, I just as likely to not look at my reflection in the mirror as, you know, some other people might be. So the idea of taking off my shirt in public 
uh, just feels like every time I do it and convince myself to do it, it feels like, oh, yeah, this is something that I can do. So I have yeah. to constantly remind myself that I am this person that is OK for me in this body to do it. And I mean, because I tell people that all the time. But, you know, people say shit, but then it's, you know, living it. So, right. So I have to remind myself that, you know, yeah, you just told this guy, you know, he should live his truth in his body. So you have to do it for yourself. And it's a it's a lifelong journey. So that's, you know, something that is always there for me. I mean, there's certainly been a few kinks that um, 10 years ago, I might have been like, never. And now I'm like, yes, more, please. (laughs) Yeah, Sticking things in your body and. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Now, so when you like when you take off your shirt in, in that instance, do you find that people are finding you attractive and coming up to you? And they are, you know, and it's weird. The same way, of, as I said about me being gay, all of my fears tended to be unfounded. Mm-hmm. Are there going to be people that don't find me attractive? Yes, but there are people who find me attractive. And what I tell people, you know, if you are upset about you, you know, your height. There are people that love men who are short. Mm -hmm. If you are upset because you're large, there are people who love, and and there's a difference between love and fetishize. I'm not talking about fetishizing, but there are people who love and accept you and find you attractive at your size, not because of your size or in spite of your size. They love you at your size. Yeah. You know, so um, I encounter that um, a lot and something that is something that I'm constantly preaching to others. And then also, as I'm saying it to others, I'm reflecting that back to myself as a, a constant uh, mantra. Like when I, I love Hallover Beach, I don't know if you've ever been to Fort Lauderdale or South Florida. Um, I've flown through it. <laughs> uh, so Hallover Beach is... Um, in, uh, north of Miami Beach, okay. and it's a it's a clothing optional beach, and there's a gay section of it. I love it because it's you know because it's clothing optional. It tends to not be as busy as other beaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you can you know see the occasional beautiful uh, person there in all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. But you know, every time I go, I'm like, I'm about to take my shirt off. I'm about to take my shirt off. I'm about to take my shirt off. <laughs> yeah. And then if I go even further, it's like. I'm about to be totally naked out here in the world, not in a hotel room, not at an orgy, not at a sex club. I am about to be naked to the Atlantic Ocean. Yes, I love. So and that is, you know, that does take something for me. If, you know, you've grown up in a world where people have said you're too fat to wear that or you're too big to do this or no one will ever find you attractive. So, you know, you have to keep fighting that in your mind. And I think like you said something really important earlier, like you have to reflect that back to you when people find you attractive, because I've run into individuals who even after I compliment them and I'm like, wow, you're so sexy. Like, oh, yeah, but I wish it was more, I was more like this or I wish my body was uh, whatever or I really gained right. weight or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. I just told you I find you sexy. And like, what, what, what more affirmation do you need? But you have to believe it for yourself. You exactly. Know? Uh, yeah, I, I I see that all the time with men of certain sizes, particularly men and women or people of certain sizes is like, like, baby, you are gorgeous. And they're like, mm-hmm. I know, but I probably need to lose like 30 pounds. And my response to that was like, bitch, we all need to lose 30 pounds. But that's <laughs> yeah. not that's neither here nor there. Right. I said you were beautiful. I didn't say you were beautiful for a big girl. 
I said you are beautiful. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's it's funny because like on apps, you know, I have preferences for who I find attractive, but it's also important to me that I leave people with their dignity. So Mm. if I see someone and I don't find them attractive, I typically say it's not a match and just keep it moving. Yeah. But some people insist on wanting to be told, what is it that you don't like about me? I'm like, you don't want to know because I'm really not trying to hurt your feelings. (laughs) And it doesn't matter what I don't like about you. It doesn't matter. Well, half the time it's like an energy thing too. Like I've been, I find myself attracted to people who like if I was looking at a picture of them I might not be attracted to them right away but because we mm-hmm. met in person they have like a certain air about them I'm attracted mm-hmm. to that energy like this confidence that they have whatever it is you right. know <laughs> but I think it's funny when, when people like want to de- like demand an explanation because it's like if I'm not if I'm not into somebody I'll honestly I'll like I'll take their hand because it's happened to me before so mm-hmm. I'll, I've learned to do this in that way. I'll, I'll take their hand and push it off to the side, kind of towards like my shoulder, if they're reaching for my chest, for example, and I'll mm-hmm. say, thank you, and kind of give them a look of like, thanks. And most people will get it. Mm-hmm. Other people, they'll like try one or two more times, and I'm just like, hey, like, not interested, <laughs> but like, you right. know, which doesn't happen that often, because I, I would say my tastes, they, they vary. They're very right. broad. But like some people just can't take the hint. They don't. And, you know, because I am Dominion, which some of my brothers will be like, of course he said that because there have been times where people have tried me and I'm like, bitch, who are you talking to? I am Dominion. (laughs) I've literally had to say that in a time where someone got all the way out of pocket. But, you know, what I've often done in the club when that has happened Mm -hmm. is I will just literally say, no, I will, you know, they're like touching and their hand is going someplace it shouldn't. I will take their hand and squeeze it, not like in a hard way, but firmly and look them directly in their eyes and uh-huh. say, I am not interested. Yeah. And then I'll walk away because, I mean, I'm not trying to fight you in the club, but, you know, I need you to be very clear that I am not interested. And then if you persist, then that's when we, you know. Right. And that's like after a couple times where it's like, okay, take the hint. Like, (laughs) you know, Um, anyways, so I wanted to also ask you kind of about your, I mean, sexual experiences as well, Dominion and that kind of leadership dynamic that you have as like a natural leader. Does that translate into your BDSM kink sex life as well? Do you consider yourself more of a dom or... Definitely. Uh, Dominion is, I mean, you know, for, for the girls that are interested, Dominion is a dom, Domi- Dominion is a dominant, Dominion is a top. Okay. So there is that. Um, but I also, you see, I use, I, I talk about girls and other stuff. And again, the 26-year-old Dominion would be like, I don't call me a girl. Uh-huh. You know, so this is part of that growth, because to me, that's, it doesn't mean and it doesn't mean I think you're a girl is sort of a generic term. But um, yeah, so my dominance is over life. It's not just in the bedroom. It's not an act that I'm adopting for the time that we're having sex or playing. It's how I relate to the world um, in all things. So, you know, I'm into I mean, that's why I said my favorite color is orange earlier. 
because, you know, I flag so many different things that if I were, you know, my pocket would be sticking out six inches, <laughs> you know, with all of the all of the flags. So, you know, I'm I love fisting. I love toys, spanking, flogging, water sports, humiliation. Uh, I got a list of like 20 things, you know, okay. so those are, that's like the highlights. OK, well, <laughs> I keep my my brain is is always like rapid firing off of like different things. Sure. I read one of the articles that you wrote for Recon, mm -hmm. and uh, well, I guess okay. No, we'll talk about the article, <laughs> and then I'll ask you later. You talk about whatever you like, <laughs> and if you want if you want this to be a part two, I would love to come That's back and fine. continue That's this. Uh, I want to ask you about how you got into writing articles in the first place, but I didn't want to talk about this since we're kind of on the subject of. I noticed you said that one of them is humiliation. That's one of your fetishes. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that as well. I, I'm more of a switch. So I actually got into degradation, humiliation, subdom play as a dom. Mm -hmm. And I don't really consider myself necessarily a dom. I had just encountered somebody who, over the years, we developed that kind of relationship. And and he he's the one as the sub who kind of introduced me to that and told we talked about it for a long time, with things that he wanted and scenarios, and we would act them out. And mm -hmm. I'll have to tell uh, on the bonus Patreon episode, you guys, I'll, I'll share my first Dom experience. Um, but <laughs> the humiliation aspect. So I, I read the article about you talking about subs and mm -hmm. owning their own power. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that because I think a lot of people have like this idea that being a Dom means that you're in charge of everything and that the sub has no power to say no and that they're just, you know, like a piece of meat that's being used for your own pleasure. And over the years, I've learned that that's definitely not true. Definitely not. So let's start with every person alive is an independent human being with the with the ability to make decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm. That power never goes away just because we play a game where you allow someone else to be in charge doesn't mean that that extends beyond that game right so you and i can be playing this game where i am in charge where i will tie you up i will put you into a stress position i will beat you until you cry I will put stuff inside of you only to the extent that you allow me to, mm -hmm. because if I extend beyond that, then I am assaulting you. Right. And you always have to, that's why it's important to understand the concept of safe words or safe phrases, because if you're tied up and you, or you muffled or otherwise can't speak you have to have some way of conveying your wishes and desires that's one of the things that uh, as pledge master i talked about first uh with the pledges is that this is a game mm -hmm. it's all a game master slave dumb sub daddy boy daddy girl mistress boy whatever it is we're it's all a game and we're playing a role and what does a game have the game has rules there are standing rules to the game, and then there's sometimes um, field of play rules. Right. So you have to establish those, and you as the sub own your power. You do not give up your power just because you're playing a game of degradation and humiliation. Mm -hmm. And if someone doesn't recognize 
your stop or is too inexperienced to recognize when you are too far gone in the scenario or when you might be in distress that was what that article was about you know mm-hmm. it's it's um rack it's risk aware consensual kink it's you being informed about uh all of the things that you want to do and taking the appropriate precautions doing your research having these conversations up front and avoiding people who would do those things to you that's why i advise against you know i think i mentioned in the article you know if you're going to play with someone say uh you and i are going to play at seven o'clock and i'm always going to be the dom because that's just who i am Mm -hmm. so brandon arrives at my place at seven o'clock you need to tell a friend to call you at 7 30 and that under no circumstances are you not allowed to answer so you can't be like oh we was just having a really good time so i didn't call that's your right. your uh your check-in that's how some of these kids get caught up because they show up to some crazy dudes how you know right. and um you know they they're doing something and sometimes it's innocent they just don't know enough to know that you can't tie someone up and leave them restrained for two hours while you go do while you go get high someplace else and then they pass out and there they are yeah so yeah so for the subs out there you are always in charge of your own body and anyone who tells you that you know i'm in charge of you and you have no say in what's going on is someone that you shouldn't play with Mm -hmm. at all Mm-hmm. or even really have any involvement in because that attitude and mindset t- tends to extend beyond the bedroom. Cause there's a lot of people out there that say, Oh, I'm a Dom. And if you identify as a sub, they'll treat you differently, like in public. And I'm like, outside of the bedroom, you and I are two grown men. Right. And that's how I expect you to interact. Like in my, I'm a master and I have a slave, but outside of the bedroom, I don't need someone. Like if I'm like, where do you want to go to dinner slave? I don't want to be like, wherever you want to go to dinner, sir. No, I fucking asked you a question. Right. Right. There's a dynamic there. And even like a 24 seven slave, I've talked to several people who have said, oh, we have a 24 seven dynamic. And it's never like that. It's not like you're walking your, your sub out on a leash. Right. to food for less or whatever <laughs> like right like, <laughs> you know <laughs> it really is not it's really you know we are living a normal life uh-huh now when you're in play um and you reach what could be identified as a threshold for the sub mm-hmm. um how how does one navigate that do you do you stop? Do you try to ride it? Do you try to push them past that? Do, like, how how does a dom navigate that moment? Carefully. I mean, that's the, you know, the simplest answer to it. You know, um, for me, the difference between a boy and a slave is the degree of ability to say no and um, the degree to which you can push uh things so Mm -hmm. i have a boy and a slave with the boy he and i have negotiated very specific things that we do and we don't go any further i put stuff in his butt but i don't fuck him Mm -hmm. you know the slave i can do pretty much whatever because we've sort of pre-negotiated that but i'm also always paying attention like if we're doing you know if i'm putting something larger inside of him i'm paying attention and being cautious and i'm checking in to say 
are you doing okay? Is everything all right? You know you can say no if you don't want to. And there's been one or two times where I've had to admonish him afterwards because he would say something like, oh, I didn't want to disappoint you. I was like, what would disappoint me if I had to take you to the hospital because now you're bleeding inside? Right. That's now, what would disappoint me. And now I can't use your asshole for two months. Like <laughs> Exactly. That's what disappoints me. Not having to slow down from this scene for, yeah. uh, for a moment. And so even that, even though me and the slave have been together for five, six years, that I still have to reiterate that because it's like, no, you need to be clear on if something isn't feeling well, because I can only do but so much. I mean, I'm not in your head and I can respond to the clues that your body is giving, but you know, you don't lose responsibility for your own self. Right. Exactly. And as a sub, I mean, I guess, I mean, you're not a sub, so I guess you, you, I have subbed before, but very rarely, (laughs) like twice. When when I reach a threshold, I Mm -hmm. actually want the dom to ride it out a little bit because I want to see if he can take me a little further past the point that I would be able to go on my own. Well, that's sort of the whole point of some things. Like if you, you know, I always talk to people when they ask what I like about playing with dildos because I mean, you know. I don't have to be embarrassed to say that I sometimes play with toys by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't hurt my masculine identity or being dominion. Although for some dumbs and some tops, it would You'd be like, I'm a top. I would never put anything in my butt. I'm like, well, I don't put anything in my butt that hasn't gone in my, I've put anything in other butts that hasn't generally gone in mine first, at least once. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you, you can only go so far with playing with toys by yourself. Right. It's always more fun to play with someone else because when it starts to feel good, sort of your natural inclination is to back off. But when you've got someone else on the other end of that dildo or the other end of that fuck machine or the flogger or whatever, you can go further. Yeah. And so that is sort of the beauty of moving past and playing with other people. And I'm kind of like you. There's been a couple of times that I've uh, sub when I've been flogged or for nipple play and I purposely wanted to ride it out beyond what I would normally call stop for, say pineapple or whatever the safe word is, because I wanted to see what that felt like. And it's no, it's for me, it's no fun if the journey only ends right at our comfort level. Right. You know, it's about pushing the boundaries. And yeah, you do reach sort of an upper limit, but you know, if we if we only stopped at the limits, you know, the, we would always be stopping the first time you said "ow." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just and that's that's where you have that I would say like that out of body experience where yes. you you are now having an experience that you couldn't do it by yourself. Um, I remember specifically a dom telling me um, to do different tasks and like and just starting simple, and then one thing we reached to a point where he's like, I want you to to, like put your tongue to the floor. And Mm -hmm. I was like, in my brain, I was like, absolutely not i will never right. like, but but <laughs> who the I, fuck are you talking to i was like what like why would you want me to do that but then right I, I was in such a space where i was so sexually charged that i was doing things on command that i was mm-hmm. just like he he rode that a little bit and he's like okay like well like you're gonna do this for me first and that for me first and i kind of was like okay i i think i could do this and and then when i did i was like oh my god 
I'm a dirty fucker. I can't believe it. Like, right. <laughs> you know, um, and like that was a threshold that was like, you know, uh, and your heart's beat. It, it becomes a whole like you would I would never have done that on my own. Like, I'm not at home licking the floor by myself right. to get off. Like, yeah, I mean, there's this one time I was playing with a slave and uh, we were in a hotel bathroom uh-huh. and um somehow some of my semen ended up on the floor instead of inside of him. Mm. So um, I was like, you need to lick that up. And just for a tenth of a second, I saw him look at me like, who the fuck? (laughs) Then he was like, oh, okay. All right. All right. Because (laughs) you could see his own mind expanding. He was like, am I going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to do this. I am doing this. And, you know, there was like after that, there was like a whole new level to our relationship because he realized that he could be more free with himself because he felt like he had been holding parts of himself back because Mm -hmm. he's got a lot of kinks and, you know, sometimes uh, most people are basic, you know, in their, uh, their sex lives. And you and I know that because you and I are both kinky. And so, and I've been talking about a lot of gay people too, not just straight people. And it's just like, what do you mean you pissed on him? And then the, they just can't even fathom that right. you would do those sorts of things where you're like, well, it was a Tuesday. So, you know, Tuesdays, <laughs> Tuesdays, water sports day. And you're, yeah. you're like, what? Wet Wednesdays. Like, duh. Yeah. Wednesdays, water sports day. I mean, what do you think the W is for? I'm right. really, you know, and so they just don't get that. And so when you have dealt with those kind of people in your life, when you meet someone who sort of, even if they don't match you kink for kink has their own level of kink. So you know that you can feel free in expressing your deepest desires. That's also part of that journey too. And so once you can express those deepest desires, then when you're having trouble at work or in your home life or whatever, then you can, you know, those are how those deeper bonds are built. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it can be scary to like encounter something that you're like, um, is it okay that I'm into this? Right. uh, and, and to let yourself experience something that is, you know, otherwise taboo, uh, mm-hmm. like that can be a whole, like, like I said earlier, like a breaking down a wall. And like you said, like when you go back out into your real, you know, your everyday life or whatever, your real life, it is your real life, but you're, mm-hmm. you know, your everyday <laughs> walking about your, your day to day, there are things that you'll encounter that you now have like had this emotional or whatever experience and a skill set to face those issues out in the in the you know your the outside world right and i don't know how to ex- how to explain that anyway else because i don't have no any- i mean that's exactly it i mean you that inner strength and peace then gives you a deeper understanding of self and what you can accomplish in all aspects of your life you're like listen if i can lick this floor then I can do this spreadsheet that I didn't think that I could do. Exactly. You know, it's like understanding you, you understand your capacity better. Right. Exactly. Understanding your capacity better and your abilities. And one thing that my, one of my good friends always says is, well, I've done worse for less. I always laugh. at (laughs) (laughs) Right. Who among us hasn't licked the floor? I mean, I haven't, but I mean, you know, (laughs) if that's what you're into. And you know, another thing that this life also gives you, at least I I feel like if you're getting the right things from it, uh it gives you sort of a lazy, fair attitude to what other people do. I'm like, you just talked about licking the floor. I was like, that's none of my fucking affair. 
Yeah. If you like it, you know, so I feel like a lot of non kinky people get really caught up in what other people do in their life, uh, uh, general, their sex life. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, why does you licking the floor have anything to do with me? And so what I always tell people is like, as long as whatever it is that you'd like to do doesn't adversely impact my ability to have fun, I don't really care. Right. And you and if you enjoy it, it's not my business. Now, there are some things that I'm going to tell you, you need to be careful because there's some danger there. But, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, and there's a few things. I mean, that usually involves things like race play or other stuff. So. Mm. So uh, what I mean, what are some of your limits? That's one thing I read in your in your article as well about, you know, those people who say I have no limits. We do have limits, right? It, it, let me see if I can pull it up right here. I, I thought it was kind of funny, but like at the same time, like, duh, it was like, I, I don't know if I can find it. it. Is, it but it was yeah. just like, if, is it okay for him to slit your throat and empty your guts out? Then you have a limit. like. <laughs> right. I mean, it is really is as simple as that because people don't think about those sort of things. There actually was a story of uh, some guy whose kink was being eaten like literally and so he met this guy and 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 thought it was for shits and giggles but that guy was a real cannibal wow and you know guys i mean clearly he's not with us now you know for reasons Mm -hmm. but uh but yeah so i my personal limits i would say um anything with blood i i personally don't like your body fluids period (laughs) <laughs> so as much as you fucking love, sub i don't want your fluids around me <laughs> i mean i am not big on um as much as i love pissing in someone or coming in someone i don't really want to have any interaction with your semen or your piss i remember my ex um you i knew that i was in love with him when we were having sex and i let him come on my chest and i didn't have a visceral uh reaction to that oh wow where does that come from i mean because i I don't know a lot of a lot of homosexual men like want come all over like in the ceiling like on their face i definitely do not i went to a um I went to a park one day and I don't really do this very often, but you know, this guy sucked me off and then he was like, so you're going to do me. And he, I was like, I mean, I guess. And then without warning, he grabbed the back of my head and came in my mouth. Oh my God. Oh, it's, I saw my whole life flash before my eyes, like me in an orange jumpsuit in jail for killing this dude. And so all I did was sort of spit it out and then left. But this was long after that. I don't really know where that comes from. I'm just not big on other people's uh, bodily fluids. That's interesting. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not like, but it's just not not your favorite thing. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, sort of so, some of the sort of normal things. I'm not into uh, anything with kids. Like, even, I oh, mean, yeah. I'm fine with a younger man, but, you know, I don't, I'm not interested in, you know, anyone that looks too, even that looks too young because it just skeeves me out. Um, yeah, me so, too. It puts my brain in a weird space. And I'm like, whoa, uh, uh-uh. Yeah, there's this uh, young, and you probably know him because he lives in L.A. I can't remember his name, but he's very short. I think he's like 5'2". He's uh, blonde, blue-eyed, but he looks like he's 12, legitimately 12. And he does 
this porn for like a website called Daddy's Boy, and it was kind of hot. Oh yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. His name is Austin something. Yeah, and I was watching, and I was like, "This is hot," but then you know, like I was hot for like a minute, and then I was like, "This is weird." This yeah. guy looks like a twelve year old. Yeah, yeah. And the guy was like my age, like late forties, early fifties, fucking this guy that looks like he's ten or twelve years old, and they're you know. The whole website is about these scenarios of young boys being taken advantage of by their doctor or their dentist. Right. Or and he's like really like 20 a... or something. <laughs> yeah, he's like 25 years old. So I'm not concerned that he's physically underage. He just but looks, he looks presents that. that way. Yeah. Yeah. So like for a minute, I was like, watch, I was devouring all of those videos I could. But then like one day I was just like, this guy's like, looks like he's 12. Yeah. And it puts I just, just something about this doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. So, yeah. so those are really sort of my limits on that. Cause I generally, like if someone came to me and said, Hey, I want to try X, Y, Z. I'd be like, I mean, we could try it. I mean, I don't know that I'm going to love it, but I mean, I'll at least try it. So I don't know that I have a ton of limits that way. So. See, I work, um, in, like in education as well. And so like anytime that, that's why I'm like, well, I've always been more of a daddy's boy anyways, but anytime mm -hmm. I see somebody who could potentially be like the same age as some of my students, it just turns me off. Like, yes. Uh, like, even if they're not like, even if they're like, 25, like, you, you know, that's why I'm not like really that into like twinks that much. Yeah. Sorry, twinks who are listening. Um, <laughs> not to say that I haven't like engaged with a couple twinks here and there. It's just like not, what I'm looking for, because that's not what I'm attracted to typically. Yes, uh, no, I, that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, and also for me, the age that I think of as someone being young has gotten older as I've gotten older. So you know, when I was 35, I'm like, oh, you know, yeah, I'll deal with someone who's like, I've never deal with anyone who's under 18. But you know, I see, I'll deal with someone who's between 18 and 20. But now at 50, I'm like, girl, if we can't go to the bar, if you, if you don't, yeah. if we can't go, if you can't come with me to the Eagle or to Bolt Bar, you're not old enough yet. You're not old enough. And then even then, I'm like, if you're on at least 25, I feel like if you are between the ages of 21 and 25, I feel like all we can do is fuck because you say that you want um, a daddy. But mm -hmm. it feels when when people say, when people are that young and please don't take this the wrong way, young people. I when I was 21, I thought I knew everything, too. But when you're 50, you'll realize you don't. Right. There's just so much more to the world than what you think. And I find that at least the way that I present to the world, those people end up being the kind that are not just looking for a daddy, but are looking for a father figure. Mm. Those are the kind of men that I attract in that age group. And I don't want that. So I'm in, I'm fine with you being young, but I'm not interested in filling in the gaps for your missing father figure, you know, through sex or whatever. You know, right. I still want you to be grown. And it's just that you're young. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's funny to me because like I'm going to be 30 in a couple months and mm -hmm. I still have like daddies being like, oh, yeah, uh, well, you're young. And I'm like, when am I not going to be young anymore? <laughs> like, I'm going to be 30. But then on the other hand, back when I was like 26, um, I was like making out with this like 18, 19 year old. And mm -hmm. 
I was like, hey, if you want to come back to my place sometime, like, you know, I live over here. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not trying to get with an older guy. And I'm like, like how dare you? I was like, I'm 20 fucking six. Like, <laughs> right. How fucking dare you, bitch? I'm not even 30 yet. Yes. I was like, what the hell? So I always get, like, I'll get those like that, that, that double whammy. It's like, okay, I'm not old enough, but I'm too old. Right. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, uh, when I, I, it's funny, I don't know if you're having what I had as I was turning 30. I don't know that I had some of the existential dread that, you know, some people did, uh-huh. but I also was like, I'm not going to be able to say I'm in my 20s anymore. Oh, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to my 30s because I, I like dirty 30s and like, I don't know. I just feel like 30, I'm like more of an adult and independent mm-hmm. now. Like when I was in my early 20s, I was still like, financially figuring life out and like right. you know like i don't know i didn't i didn't have all of like the independence that i now have developed over this decade so exactly and you know people i know some people who are in your age range of like 25 to 35 and they're like you seem to really be excited about turning 50 i was like one there's a lot of people that didn't make it to 50 yeah uh-huh. and i mean i have i mean i i lived a good life i mean it's a lot lot to look forward to. I mean, you know, I feel like I still got like 40 more years to go. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to be um, upset or ashamed about. I mean, it's 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 um, a great milestone to uh, achieve, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always tell my partner, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be 30. Like in biblical times, I would have been dead. Like, right. <laughs> you would have definitely been a great, I mean, at 30, I was having this conversation with one of my brothers yesterday. It's like 30 years old, you know, 100, 120 years ago at the turn of the 20th century, if you were 30, it wasn't uh, it, um, unimaginable for you to be a grandfather. Yeah, I'm a grandpa. Like, <laughs> yeah. Now kids are 30 years old and still haven't left the house. And there's nothing, no shame in that either, you know. Right, society but, is, yeah, is it's different. just a totally different time yeah exactly yeah exactly. yeah and another reason i don't deal with young people is it's like i don't need to be i'm not going to want to be dealing with people when i'm older than your mother so <laughs> i kind of i kind of think that's hot though when i hook up with a guy who's like older than my dad i'm like okay that's kind of hot <laughs> <laughs> it does have its uh its moments and I feel there's been at least one occasion where I met a guy and I was like, I fucked your father. Yeah. (laughs) You don't know that I fucked your father. Oh my God. He knows that I fucked him, but it's feel like, I feel like that's a conversation between father and son. That is none of my affair. (laughs) Oh my God. Do you have to start a whole new um, porn company with all those scenarios? (laughs) I listen, I would love to at least start writing it. Oh, that asked you you were gonna ask me how I got started writing. Um yeah, so let's talk a little bit about your your writing. Um you mentioned like part of your coming out process back in the day was was through your writing. Have you always been a writer? I have. The first story that I wrote was when I was in the fifth grade. It was called The Adventures of Super Fats. That was my uh my alter ego. So I wrote all through um elementary well i didn't write all through but i certainly wrote in elementary school and high school i won some national contest for my writing and then in college i read this book by terry mcmillan called um it wasn't waiting to exhale but it was one of her other books Mm -hmm. and i thought it didn't give a good uh a good description of 
relationships. What did I know at that time? Never having been with a woman, never really having a long-term relationship, Mm -hmm. but I decided I was going to write something in response to that. And so that turned into this novel that I've been working on for the past 30 years and still haven't uh, finished. And um, I did journal occasionally. And that article that I wrote uh, on my 26th birthday in uh, 1997 was um, part of that journaling phase. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those were literally the first words that I wrote that, you know, I am gay. This can't be a phase. Phases don't last for 10 years. Wow. Then I started to write porn. And I usually write something in response to other things, even like the columns that I write for Recon and Bear World and for the blog are in response to things. But I started writing porn because I don't know if you remember Inches Magazine. You probably no, don't. No, I, I actually have never heard of it. But is this like Literatica? It, well, Inches was a porn magazine. Okay. And then it had its variations. They had Black Inches and Latin Inches. Oh. And I probably have one of the world's biggest collection of Black Inches magazines still. And they had stories in them. And it was clear to me that most of the people who were writing these stories about black people in black inches were not black Mm. because they talked about black people in a way that black people do not talk about each other. Like when there are two black people together or a black and a Latin person or two people of color, there's rarely a fixation on skin color. So that led me to believe that the art, the, the authors were generally white. Right. People of these stories. are like fetishizing. Right. And so it wasn't necessarily fetishizing per se. It was just that they needed someone to write this story and they all had sort of stereotypical black names and stereotypical black situations. And so I started writing erotica for uh, those reasons. Mm-hmm. And I published some stories on that level that got a just the, the tiniest bit of notoriety because, you know, I don't know that I've sold more than a thousand copies mm-hmm. of that um, on Amazon just yet. But between that writing, which people were aware of, and my involvement with Onyx, I started getting exposed to writers. For instance, uh, when Ramian Pierre was uh, IML in 2014, he had me edit his pieces. And that was how I first got involved with Recon because he wrote a piece or when they, when, when they have IMLs write pieces. Now, Ralph Bruno might be different because he is a writer as well, but they typically send you a set of questions. You send answers back and then they craft the story out of that. Ah, got it. Okay. And so at least that's what they did for Ramian. And I know that they've done it for a few other people. And so before Ramian would send it back, he would have me review what he wrote. And so somehow my name got associated with that. And that was how I got involved with Recon and writing articles for them. And so I really just wrote about what I knew. So I didn't, I wrote stories about uh, a master slave dynamic. I wrote um, an article about um, poly relationships and being um, rules for novice submissive. And all of those came out of the questions that I would get from people who were interested in being a part of Onyx or being a part of the leather community or being my sub or my slave. Mm -hmm. And then I also just wrote a couple of stories about um, humiliation for that. 
So my writing has really been um, an outlet for me to express my opinions. I mean, all of my articles are written under the heading Dominion's Opinions. I mean, I did not choose that. I mean, that just happens to be a great <laughs> it rhyme. It rhymes really well. So, <laughs> So uh, and that just really happens to to be that. So, you know, I've been writing um, pretty consistently since 2013 when I first started writing Dominion's opinions for the triple X list, which no longer is being published online. Okay, But uh, you can if you if anyone's interested, they can still read my blog or at least the old articles from the blog at my website, which is Domonics.com. D-O-M-O-N-Y-X dot com. And I'll put a, uh, a link to that in the in the link section for the description of this episode as well. Um, so let's talk about um, your you have a YouTube channel. Yes. So that is called the BGKH show. BGKH stands for Black, Gay, Kinky, Human. Um, so many things come out of my involvement with Onyx where I, how I said in the beginning, you know, Onyx has been a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. So uh, one day, me and several of my brothers were asked to participate in someone else's um, video podcast. And we, uh, me and Epic, my other Onyx brother, who uh, is my co-host on the BGKH show, we just, it was such an easy and natural flow for us. It was like, we should do this on a regular basis. <laughs> and so we did. And first we were just doing it in a studio and it was all on Facebook and everything. And then... um over the past uh, couple of years, it's evolved from just, you know, us going live on YouTube every Wednesday to us getting studio space and having it be more professional to us doing it at home in a home studio and having a YouTube channel. So and we're on um, next week. It'll be episode 158. Yeah, episode wow. 158. So you've been doing this for a couple of years then. Yeah, we started it. We started the first week in January of 2018. Wow! And you guys talk about kind of like, well, I mean, at least the episode that I was watching, like mm-hmm. a, a little bit of irreverent things. Like, yes, <laughs> is it always about uh, kink and sex or, or like your daily lives? <laughs> it's all of that. It, 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 well, the show is black, gay, kinky, human. So anything that falls in that category. So we just talk about the world and our lives. Our lives used to be much more interesting in the uh, pre-COVID days. Mm -hmm. You know, we would talk about our adventures and, you know, trips and stuff, but it was never like a kiss and tell. So, you know, if I came to Los Angeles, I might be like, yeah, I went to uh, Slammers and I went to the Bolt Bar and I had some fun uh or whatever but i wouldn't be like yes i met this guy his name is so and so and this is exactly what we did because we just don't do that sort of thing but it's more of a a fun recapping of our lives for maybe the first half of the show and then the rest we talk about stories that are important you know around the elections there's always a lot of conversation about politics and the importance of voting and we talk about gay issues we talk about just about everything. So there's no subject that is uh, off limits for us. Mm-hmm. And we've also dealt with things that happen in our lives. Like my father died mm-hmm. in October of 2018. And, you know, Epic's 
family uh, is they're members of Epic's family that are dealing with challenges. And we've built a nice little family of people who watch us uh, every Wednesday. And, you know, if you're interested in that, uh, it's just look for the B-G-K-H-O-T-H-E-B-G-K-H-S-H-O-W on YouTube. So that's YouTube.com slash the B-G-K-H-O. Awesome. And I'll definitely put a link to that in the description as well. Before we go, I, I do have just like a couple blast questions I want to sure. ask and then and then we can kind of wrap it up for today. But going back to your leather experience, how do you think leather has changed who you are over the years? Um, leather has expanded my mind to the possibility of what the world can be in a sexual way, in a friendship way and what my own personal capacity for leadership and fun and adventures are. Mm -hmm. And do you think leather is for everybody? Um, no, because I think there are some people who are very comfortable in their little safe. Uh, that, that's disingenuous. I think there are some people who don't have the spirit of adventure that is necessary to fully invest in the leather community. Mm. Very well put. Very well put. Yeah, because I don't want to make it. There's nothing wrong if if uh, if you enjoy, you know, regular oral sex and, you know, regular missionary style sex and that fulfills you and there you don't feel like there's anything wrong in your life. Then who am I to judge that? Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, do you remember your first piece of leather and do you still have it today? I do not remember my first piece of leather and I certainly don't have it, mm -hmm. but I know what my favorite pieces of leather are. And what are those? My favorite pieces of leather are some custom tunics that I had made, had made by uh, Rubio leather when I put them on. And he actually, I'd like to say um, that when I'm in my full high cow, I'm head to toe Rubio. Head to toe Rubio. Nice. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, my pants, the tunic that I wear, the gauntlets that I have on and the braces that I have on the suspenders that I have on are all Rubio. And when I put the full ensemble on, it makes me feel powerful and invincible. Yeah, absolutely. I think leather does that for, for me as well. Like the first time I put on that harness at Mr. S, like all mm -hmm. of the feelings that I had experienced first encountering leather when I didn't have leather, like mm -hmm. that whole experience came back to me. And that's like, every time I put on leather, it's like snaps me into that energy. I don't know how to explain that. Oh no, 100%. But I'm also not one of those people who, I don't have a fetish for leather. I don't, I'm not turned on by the smell. You know, the smell of Hubbard's does not turn me on, mm, Okay. you know, or anything like that. So while I feel powerful in it, I don't need to wear it all the time to feel powerful. Got it. Got it. You're not like licking it or like no. <laughs> smelling it throughout the day. <laughs> mm -mm, not at all. In fact, I try to because I don't have like since I'm not into leather, the uh, fabric, mm -hmm. I don't have a ton of leather. People think I have a lot of leather because they always see me in custom fitting leather. But I just have a few well fitting pieces that I wear on those special occasions. And then I can't wait to get home and take those off. Got it. After okay. the event's done. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. What's one of your fondest memories being in the leather community, whether that be sexual or, or non-sexual? Um, 
non-sexual, honestly, and this is, you know, someone else, was the moment when our brother Ramian won International Mr. Leather because it felt like the culmination of a journey for us, particularly those of us who were close to him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, because we had all been working with him and we saw how much effort that he had been putting in, not just to the physical, because people tend to focus on that, but, you know, how he had mentally prepared himself. And I had been there, you know, helping him rehearse and just be because I was a president at the time. And so that was just like a great moment. And there was just like this sense of euphoria and anything is um, anything is possible. Mm. Uh, some of the sexual moments, I probably that will. That I thought there would never be anything that I wouldn't share, but I don't want to share it because you know, even though I have a slave and I could probably say whatever I want, I still respect the relationship that we have, and so I won't share that because I've not spoken to him about sharing it mm -hmm. first. Absolutely, but it involved a slave, and I'll just leave it at that. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we'll let your imagination take you for a ride there. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like there's a lot there to be hidden because, I mean, I have pictures. There's pictures of him in video on Twitter. So it's not like, you know, there's this whole hidden world. So Dom Onyx, at Dom Onyx on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> okay, well, I, I guess that was going to be my next question to you. How can we reach out and stay connected? Dom Onyx on Twitter and Instagram? Yes. Facebook? Uh, you can f Facebook is Dominion Onyx. Just a general way to reach me is via my link tree. So that's... Uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Dom Onyx. And then that'll have the links to the BGK8 show, the links to all of my writings on uh, Recon and Bear World, and the links to the Alex and Alonzo, which we only touched on briefly. That's the pornographic story that I wrote. It's a series that I'm working on. And as well as the links to my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and email. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you again, Dominion, for coming on the show. Do you have any last words for our audience, maybe advice for newbies coming into the scene or going through some of the same experiences that you did coming into leather and kink and understanding yourself? Uh, the advice that I would have for a newbie coming into the scene, regardless of whether you currently identify or want to identify as a top bottom dom sub is to find you uh find a mentor and here are some criteria for a mentor the mentor is only interested in your well-being one and two sex is not required for mentorship hmm. even if you i mean you can be physically attracted to a ton of people but my strongest advice to you is to have a mentor uh, with whom you do not have sex. And then the last thing I would say is that there are ways to be gay in this world that are non-sexual. Hmm. So there's, it's cool to maybe even have a group of people that you have fuck buddies that you regularly have sex with, but all of your friends should not be people that you have sex with or will have sex with or um, have had sex with, well, maybe have had is different, mm -hmm. but you know, it's cause that's, it's just messy. So that would be my best piece of advice is to keep those things separate. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be sexual with every gay person you meet in the planet. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we've sort of made it that way, uh -huh. but you'll, as I think as, as you move through your life, you'll find that you got to have some people in your life that you can always just depend on. And when they, when you ask them, Hey, does this look good on me? It was like, yeah, and it would look better if it was on the floor. I mean, you know, you got to just have people that you can just talk to without sex being involved. 
Right. Yeah, I think that's that's really good advice. Well, I want to thank you again, Dominion, for coming on the show today. As always, guys, you can find me on Patreon and Instagram as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky.